Hello everyone. Welcome to the Crack the MBA show. My name is Nupur Gupta and I'm the host today. Our guest is Sharang Sahani, who is a recent graduate from UNC's Keenan Flagler Business School. Prior to UNC, Sharang has diverse experiences in financial services at Nomura, FinTech, founding his own startup and product as part of a leading edtech startup. Sharang's journey has been one of great determination and persistence which has him today working in a coveted job as a senior product manager at Amazon working with Alexa. Hi Sharang, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hey Nupur, um happy to happy to chat. I was really excited that you reached out. I really had fun in, in two years of my MBA and like two and a half three years preparing for the MBA. So it was just happy to reflect and, and talk about what I went through. Also, also uh, happy to be helpful to future applicants and and folks that are pursuing their MBAs. So yeah, really excited to be here. Thank you so much, Sharan. So Sharan, to begin, if we could talk a little bit about your admissions journey, you know, why you were looking to pursue an MBA and the admissions process that you went through, what worked, what you think you could have done better and any advice you have for prospective applicants. Yeah, absolutely. So the main reason for pursuing an MBA, actually there were a few, but the main reason was career growth. So the job that I was at, um i was the product lead you could say at a at a startup and uh, the career growth that i could see uh, year to year at that company i just didn't think that that was something i wanted to continue and an mba would give me the opportunity to continue to work with the product manager but for companies that are like much larger with product like alexa for instance the one that i'm working on right now which has billions of customers and a really global impact and i felt that an mba was the the appropriate channel to pursue there were a couple of other reasons like i've always wanted to work in the us because it's the hub of innovation and as a tech person that's always the dream and uh, yeah uh, i think uh, those were the main reasons for me admissions was tricky because um, in 2020 is when i pursued my mba i was a reapplicant so i had already applied in 2019 and uh, those applications were really haphazard not very focused very unrealistic i might say uh, especially with the career goals and stuff so um i applied to a bunch of schools rejected from every single school and and i had a good gmat also so it's not like uh, stats were the problem so that's when it took the summer try to really examine what had gone wrong and that's when i connected with you and we came up with a strategy on maybe articulating certain parts of my application better and um another consideration for me was uh, I wanted to retake the GMAT and I'm trying to push my 740 score to 760 and uh, one of the things we discussed is that's a good to have a 760 GMAT but it's not necessary to have uh, there were other parts of the applications that we could focus on namely career goals namely the actual tone of the application which was was flawed in my first go so we fixed other parts of the application in my reattempt and uh, that really helped so i i, I was able to get uh, interview invites from a bunch of schools and uh, able to get a significant scholarship also great great if you had one piece of advice for prospective applicants what would be that consistency and focus in the application is very important in the sense that there's like six or seven pieces of the application like the essay is not the only piece right there's also the optional essay which is real estate to talk about your accomplishments or certain extenuating circumstances there's your resume there's like a bunch of these extracurriculars right the story needs to be consistent because uh, there's only like a few seconds or maybe a couple of minutes that our admissions person spends on your application and if there's a red flag it's just not a good experience for for them so that could really harm your application so the story needs to be consistent and it needs to be focused on what your personal brand essentially is 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 the experience that uh, you typically go with your clients the first couple of weeks or months or just spent on creating your personal brand i would say consistency and focus are very important uh, parts of the application and that really leads to a good um, sort of application cycle for candidates Amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Sharon. 
What's something you wish you did prior to getting to business school? Something that I did that helped me is the HBR core course. It's expensive, so it's not something that everyone needs to do. But uh, it really helped me adjust to the first couple of semesters in business school where your core curriculum is super taxing and folks start to recruit at the same time. So not only do you need to learn academics that, that you're there in business school to learn, but you also need to learn how to recruit. You also need to learn how to interview, right? So I did do the HBR course. It's got accounting, macroeconomics, and statistics. And those were, that's like 50% of the core. And that really helped me adjust and uh, balance my time well. The other thing that I probably wished that I would have done is, like I said, learn how to interview. So there's a bunch of sort of case studies that you have to solve as part of your interviewing process. And uh, there's a lot of industry background that you need. So the readings in the industry that I was interested in, um, reading a couple of books that help you interview, I think those would be things that I would do now looking back. Because again, it, it just helps you manage your time better. Yeah, that makes sense. You talked about the Harvard Business School online core. So that's something that you would recommend mm -hmm. to incoming students. Yeah. And you talked about a couple of books that you think you could have read. Can you name them? Yeah. So the book, the Bible that I've gotten to know for consulting is Case in Point. It's a super popular book. And uh, everyone that I know was recruited for consulting, which I wasn't, but I have friends recruiting for consulting. Um, swear by that book or product, which was more my focus, there would be Lewis Lin, L-E-W-I-S, Lewis Lin, L-I-N. He's a great author and he's written a couple of books. The starting point would be Decode and Conquer. That's a great starting point for product management type interviews. There's also a book called Cracking the PM Interview. So those are the two books for product that I would recommend. And then when you get to school, uh, I'm sure most top schools have tie-ups with some sort of career coaching or career accelerating companies. And one of the companies that helped when I was in school, when I got to school, was Rocket Blocks. Rocket Blocks is another, it's like an tech product. So it's an online uh, on-demand service, which uh, helps you prep for different kinds of interviews. So those are the resources that were really helpful to me. That's very helpful. Thanks for sharing that, Sharang. Talking about Chapel Hill, right? What's it like living in Chapel Hill, being a student? And also, if you can talk about, you know, were you living on campus, off campus, and where do students generally live? Right. So I miss Chapel Hill a lot. Chapel Hill is uh, super fun. The weather is amazing. It's a very quaint, small town, college town feel. Uh, and that's because, uh, just statistically, it's Population of 60,000 and UNC students are like 30,000. So it's like more than half of just students living in Chapel Hill. And it was a huge contrast for me because I went, I, I was raised in Mumbai. So huge city, like 18, 20 million people. Spent a couple of years in Delhi. Again, huge city with a lot of people. And went from being in big cities to a town like Chapel Hill, where it's just students and that's where it's like sparsely populated. So it was a huge shift for me in a very good way because I had like two years of peace of mind, calm living before you get back to a city like Seattle, which is not maybe as big as Mumbai or Delhi, but it's still a big city, right? So yeah, I had a great time. I had a blast in Chapel Hill. I still miss it. I lived on campus. UNC has graduate student housing, which is like a five or 10 minute walk from the actual business school building. And uh, that was great. It was, it was subsidized student housing. So it ended up paying like $600 a month for uh, an apartment, which is great. Uh, if you know rent price in the U.S., it, it's amazing. I, I, miss, uh, I miss that also about Chapel Hill. And uh, it, it's nice. It's very city and it's very scenic. And, um, and yeah, so essentially UNC takes care of everything for you, for you if you live uh, on campus. So we have a great experience. Okay, very helpful. And, and do majority of students live in graduate housing? So that's tricky, right? Because uh, like I said, UNC is a huge school, 30,000 students, and um, graduate programs would be, let's say, 20% of that. So there's a lot of students in UNC. So if you apply early, and uh, by early meaning, I want to say around May, 
is when there will be spots open. If you're applying now in July, I think spots are already gone. So it, it's hard. So you have to apply as soon as you can to get uh, an apartment on campus. And um, sorry, what was the question? I, I deviated. And <laughs> no, this is still helpful context. Uh, do most students, uh, MBA students, end up living graduate houses? Yes. So, so yeah. So the ones that apply early enough and the ones that can, that can find spots to live on campus do, obviously, because most international MBA students don't have vehicles and uh, don't have cars. And that's a necessity in the, in the U.S. So since the campus is, uh, since the housing is uh, like a five-minute walk from the campus, it, it's super helpful. So most internationals choose to live on live on campus. Most domestic students live off campus in very sort of student apartment complexes. And, and most of the students, like most domestic students, choose to live there. Uh, they've got nicer amenities, like there's like a pool, like there's like a, a community area, stuff like that, which the on-campus housing doesn't have. Most domestic students end up living off campus. Okay, fair enough. Can you speak a little bit about your academic experience, some of the classes you enjoyed and your favorite professors? Sure. So the academic experience at UNC is rigorous. The first, I want to say, five months or so is extremely taxing because it's the core classes and that's just mandatory for all students attending MBA programs at UNC. And it's takes up a lot of your time, especially because you're still learning how to recruit. You're still learning how to interview. You're still, you're still working on your resume, hoping to get an internship. So that's very taxing. Later on at UNC, in the second semester, you have the option to take electives. And that's atypical for some schools. The core lasts for the whole year. For UNC, it's just the first four or five months. And then the second semester, you can take electives. And the second year is entirely electives. There's no mandatory classes at all. So the flexibility of that experience was incredibly helpful because electives means that you can also dictate your own calendar. So if you're recruiting in that two-month period, you want to take lighter classes. If you have time, you would take some of the, the heavier classes and actually get your money's worth from your MBA. So that, that flexibility is super helpful. From classes, uh, I really liked a class called Marketing Strategy. It was taught by William Pilsis. He is a key advisor to Boeing and um, incredibly smart professor. And we essentially, throughout the class, we went through creating a new strategy for a company of your own choice and essentially try to figure out what the company is not doing well and how the company can fix those mistakes. And you can also use some of those insights and apply them in your interviews And the company that chose Amazon. It was very helpful for me to understand uh, the background of the company, the background of the industry, and help me in my interviews also. So I love marketing strategy. Another class was taught by Professor Al Seegers. He is an advisor. Uh, he's actually worked on the original iPod with uh, Steve Jobs. He was in that, that team that worked on the iPod, and he's currently working on the Apple Watch. So he's a super, super interesting guy. And um, yeah, his, his class provides a good primer to all the latest sort of breakthrough technologies in the world. So I like that class too. Super, super. And Sharang, what's a must-do experience at UNC? Something that you highly recommend? That's interesting. Um, the two things that are different about UNC are one would be a kind of a expedited exchange program not an exchange program in the sense where you go to a different school and you study a bunch of courses. You go to different geographies and you work with companies in, in those geographies and you work to solve problems. It's called the GIE, Global Immersion Experience. And um, you end up going to these exotic countries and you, sol you solve global sort of problems, which it it's very hard for you to sit in the US or sit in India and gain that sort of cultural uh, on the ground perspective. So that's a great experience. Another thing would be a STAR, S-T-E-R. That's a program that lasts your entire second semester of your first year. And that's a real world consulting project where you work with a company that, that the school brings to campus and you, you work to solve a very real problem that the company has. So for instance, I started my MBA 
when the pandemic had just hit. And the company that I worked with uh, essentially gave me a very vague problem to solve. It was just like, we want to figure out what sales looks like for pharmaceutical drugs post-pandemic. We don't know what it looks like. You figure it out and you tell us. So it's a very, very sort of ambiguous problem to solve, but at the same time also very um, rewarding because uh, you get to sort of dig a little deeper and, and learn so many new things about industries and about problems that you just didn't know previously. So I would recommend those two experiences. Super, super. And for GIE, did you participate in that as well? I did not, but uh, many, many of my friends did. I was busy interviewing at the same time, so I could not go. But uh, I was super jealous because my friends said amazing things about that experience. Super. Sharang, what's something you wish prospective students knew about UNC? UNC is a very issue-driven school. So it's a school that encourages people to really embrace themselves and bring their true authentic self to campus. If you have issues that you're really passionate about, like DNI, like even if you're really passionate about career-related issues, it really encourage you, encourages you to take a stand and bring those difficult conversations up in classroom or even outside of classroom and, and have like initiatives planned around those things. So I think it's, it's very important for you to understand who you are. And if, if you have that understanding, you can start initiatives that you can see, you really have that support. Also, the student body is incredibly supportive. So it's a great place to test out your quote unquote leadership experiences before actually going out in the real world. So you'll get that support from your classmates. Sure. Sharang, speaking of activities, you were the section leader, VP of strategy with the MBA student body, as well as VP of off-campus recruiting as part of the tech club. So if you could talk about each of these initiatives and the activities that these entailed, that'd be really helpful. Yeah, so section leader, I mean, think of it as um, Harry Potter and, and like your class being uh, sectioned off into a couple of houses, right? So that's what sections were at UNC. And I was the representative or section leader for my entire section. And uh, every year there's different issues. You're essentially a representative for students who, and, and this is like, right when you get to campus. So you don't really know your classmates that well. So they don't have a way to articulate that concern. So you are their mouthpiece, essentially. So when I was in my first year, the big thing was the pandemic. And uh, people had a lot of concerns. People were stressed. They weren't getting uh, what they wanted from their MBA experience. It was my, my duty to really talk to all people and to articulate their concerns to administration or, or, or management. So that's what I did as a section leader. Um, as the VP of off-campus recruiting for the tech club, I helped underrepresented students get, I don't want to say jobs, but actually get a fair shot at uh, recruiting for tech positions. So the way I did that was I helped build a relationship with a career accelerator and uh, the career accelerator would help these students to really articulate their unique backgrounds in a way that tech companies are able to sort of set up and take notice. And uh, that really helped a lot of people get a bunch of interviews with tech companies. Super cool. And what about the MBA student body, the VP position? Was there something different as part of that as well? Yeah, so again, um, this also partially answers one of your previous questions. UNC is a very, very student-led program in the sense that there is some sort of support from the actual administrators, people paid to support students, of course. Most of the student experience is led by students, right? So the MBSA, uh, the MBA Student Association or MBASA is a student body that essentially organizes a bunch of events, decides where the budget should be allocated, which activities are more important for any academic year. 
and essentially dictates the entire student experience. So in my first year, I worked very closely with the president of the MBA student body, and I helped, uh, I helped define the strategy for, let's say, budget allocation, or let's say, organizing certain kinds of events, or essentially enriching the student experience. All right, Sharon, switching gears to recruiting, right? It would be great if you could speak a little bit about the recruiting timeline at UNC and then talk more specifically about your internship search, what that process looked like, and what obstacles you faced and how you overcame them. So the recruiting timeline is different for first year and second year. First year, it's always easier in your MBA to get an internship and then convert that internship into a full-time offer. That's your best shot at getting a job or getting a job that you want, or even getting an internship in the first year and then re-recruiting and then getting a different full-time offer. That's also, it's hard when uh, you're directly recruiting in the second year for full-time offers. Having said that, in the first year, typically companies, depending on the industry, start coming to campus almost immediately. So for instance, investment banking, Interviewing for investment banking starts sometime in late September, early October, and recruiting is done by early December. Like you won't have people recruiting for IB after December. And that's absurdly quick, in my opinion. Like September is just when people are are figuring out what the MBA program is, right? Like MBA starts in late August. So just just throwing these folks into the fire is, is just very, very quick. But that's how IB is. Uh, consulting starts a little later. Consulting typically at UNC would be late October and extends into like January sometimes. So consulting is a little later. Tech is the, the last thing to go. So tech starts in, I want to say, late December. And uh, interviews uh, are, are offered right up until uh, April, May. I, I know people have gotten um, positions at tech companies in uh, like June, for instance, which is very, very late, Even, like after your first year is over, essentially, right? So tech is the last one. And the reason for that is um, tech companies don't have uh, a planned number of, a fixed number of students they want to take every year. It's mostly based on projects and the projects aren't planned out a year in advance. The projects get planned out a couple of months in advance and that's when the, the positions open. So for the first year, roughly those are the timelines. For the second year, for full-time recruiting, uh, things get a bit sketchy because not a whole lot of companies have dedicated MBA full-time positions, especially not for tech, which is what I'm mostly focused on. Yeah, so Amazon, maybe Google a little bit, Microsoft, and outside of these big names, not a whole lot of companies have MBA full-time roles open. the smaller companies typically just recruit for interns and they convert those interns to full-time offers and they recruit full-time on a need basis, right? In your full-time search, you have to compete with literally every other job applicant out there, MBA or non-MBA, right? Like uh, these may be folks graduating, on, graduating out of their master's programs. These may be folks who are, or don't have a master's or just applying for the job, right? So you have to compete with literally every other job seeker and somehow hope to get noticed and then recruit. So that that gets very tricky. Also, because there's no fixed sort of MBA recruiting program, timelines can vary for second year recruiting. Applications can close as early as, let's say, October. Um, That's when applications for Amazon closed last year, and interviews were rolled out in January, February, March. So recruiting can go. You might have to wait five or six months between your application and your interviews. So timelines are, are always up in the air for, for full-time recruiting. Understood. And uh, Sharon, could you talk a little bit about your own internship search as well as the full-time search, the obstacles you faced and how you overcame them? Yeah, uh, I'll just run through the internship piece quickly because my situation was very unique. And I don't expect other people to uh, have the same problems. And so I don't want to confuse people. I started my MBA in India. So work authorization was a problem. So I couldn't recruit for typical internships. So for me, what really helped was the school. The school was very helpful in getting companies to campus 
And I mean, they weren't like Amazon or Google, but they were still solid companies doing amazing work. And these companies, since UNC has a huge name in healthcare, like uh, UNC's public school, I think is ranked number one or number two in the entire US. So it's got a very, very strong root in healthcare. These companies were very interested in getting UNC folks to work for them. And um, so I was able to work for a similar company for my internship. For full-time recruiting, I had a very focused recruiting strategy, which was very scary, to be honest, because I was only focused on product. I did not even apply to a consulting role at all. And that's very scary because all of my friends, uh, especially those that were recruiting for consulting, had interviews as early as August, September, and they had jobs by October. And I didn't even have an interview invite by like, I think my first interview invite was January 2nd week. So it's like five months of just not hearing back from companies. And that's very scary. But I used those four or five months to prepare for interviews, to, to really have my star stories prepared to, to the T. And that really helped because I received five or four or five different interviews in the second week of January. And uh, in two weeks, I think I had like 11 interviews lined up. So five, interv- five, five companies and 11, interview, um, 11 different interviews. So th- there was no time in January to prep for those interviews. So all the work that I'd done in the preceding four or five months really helped me. So for instance, for Amazon, you don't repeat your, so there are four interviews back to back for Amazon, 45 minute interviews, and you don't repeat your star stories across any of those four interviews. So it's very, very, very hard. And people typically go in with 10 or 12 star stories prepared and they end up repeating one and they get dinged for that. Because I had so much time to prep leading up to my interviews, I prepared 25 star stories. And, and I took the winter break, the whole of December, to just, just not memorize them, but really prepare them really well and go deep into those stories. So I, I, I was prepared. So when the interviews for Amazon came and Amazon gives you like five days to, to uh, schedule the interview, not a whole lot of time, uh, I was really prepared. And, and so I was able to convert that into an offer because of all the work that I'd done previously. Okay, that's amazing. That's really helpful. Uh, Sharang, did you have any cold outreach as part of your recruiting process? Could you define what that is? Uh, just reaching out call to people, maybe like writing in through emails and whatnot, or LinkedIn even? Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah. So I reached out to a ton of people and I had a pretty good experience. Uh, I know it's a a very uh, sticky area for most people. I had a good experience. My advice for reaching out cold to people have a few. Uh, So first would be try to reach out to alums or, or like someone who has something in common, right? That's always an, an easier uh, conversation to have rather than reaching out to someone that you just have nothing in common, right? So that would be first. And I think another thing that I did, which was super effective, was always having an ask in the initial introductory email. And now I'm on the other side of things where people are reaching out to me and uh, that's something that's one of my pet peeves where people just say hi and they just introduce themselves and uh, they don't have an ask so at the end of the email i want to know how i can help right and if you don't ask me for something specific like 15 minutes of my time or like a couple of questions that i can respond to on email or something it's just hard to grab my attention if you're not going to ask me anything right so that's something I did a very specific ask. So I would typically ask for 10 to 15 minutes of my time, and then they would give me half an hour. So I would ask for less, and then they would schedule 30 minutes, right? So that really helped me talk to people. And um, yeah, I, I just reached out to people who went to other business schools also, so not necessarily from UNC. But since we had the shared MBA experience that like they went through and I was going through, they were more receptive to having those chats with me. Very helpful. Thanks. And I bet this can help folks, uh, prospective applicants as they're reaching out to current students as well. Lovely. Sharang, so at UNC, what tech companies recruit international students and for what roles? 
the two companies that have a, a great relationship with UNC are Dell and Cisco. So Chuck Robbins, who is the CEO of Cisco, is actually a keynote flatter now. And Dell has a, a great relationship with UNC also. So you could expect about 10 to 12 uh, internship offers, uh, sorry, about 16 offers, 10 to 12 interns to go to Dell in the first year. So Dell's a great uh, recruiter. Cisco is lesser than that. Cisco could be two or three, uh, but, but Cisco would be for product management only. Dell rolls out offers for product marketing, for operations, for corporate strategy, for, for product management, if you have the experience. But Cisco is specifically for product management. Um, so that's in, the, that's in the first year for internship offers. Um, in the second year, again, like I said, it's less structure. So Cisco might recruit some full-time folks or might not. Dell typically tries to recruit a couple, at least in the, uh, in the full-time cycle. But it, it's significantly lesser than their internship intake because they've already taken a bunch of students, converted them from interns to full-time, right? So that's what two core companies are at UNC. Uh, Amazon's a great one to target because Amazon is an, it's, it's the most egalitarian, the most meritocratic employer in the sense that it doesn't care what school you come from. I mean, you can come from a top 50 school, but if you, as long as you are able to do well on the Amazon assessment and uh, in the interviews, you have a fair shot. So Amazon is, is great as well. Then things get a little tricky. Google, Microsoft do rollout offers, but not for product roles. They'll roll out for like a BD roles, sometimes marketing roles, sometimes uh, customer success roles. And then there could be, if, if you have good ties at companies like Adobe or Walmart or PayPal, you might still have a shot, but you would have to put in a lot of effort and build good contacts at those companies. It, it's not an easy offer. Understood. And what about smaller um, startups? Do those recruit international students in tech as well? So smaller startups, the tricky part there is that there are a ton of smaller startups in the Triangle area where UNC is situated. Um, Chapel Hill, Durham, and uh, Raleigh is, is a great uh, spot for budding tech entrepreneurs. The tricky part there is that they might offer you an internship offer, but they could not convert that offer because they would have to sponsor international students. So not all startups are willing to do that. However, I've heard cases of uh, people making an amazing impression in their internship where the startup, uh, like, you know, $2,000, $3,000 sponsor you. I don't mind it. It's fine. So it, it could go either way. But because this sponsorship situation is so tricky, I can't throw a name at you and, and guarantee you that they'll take people every year, year on year, right? It's just on an as-needed basis. So again, to summarize, there are startups, but um, on a case-by-case -case basis, you might have success with those companies. Got it. And what I'm also hearing is you might have greater success for internships versus, say, full-time jobs. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because um, in a full-time, it, it's a significantly higher financial commitment because they're offering you a six-figure salary. For an internship position, they're going to try you out for two or three months. The financial investment is lower, and it gives you an opportunity to impress the decision makers. That makes sense. Sharang, what percent of the Indian cohort would you say goes into tech or went into tech? I would estimate about 20 to 30 percent wanted to recruit for tech when they came in but roughly about 40 percent or 35 percent actually ended up with tech internships um, the only reason being consulting so most people come in at least at unc uh, with consulting as a goal and consulting is the interviews are tricky, they're very case-based, and the positions are few, so you might not get consulting. So we just discussed the timeline. So from October to December, if you're recruiting for consulting and you don't have an offer, the only other industry open 
uh, still rolling out offers and accepting applications with tech. So that's how people um, sort of end up with these tech roles that they won't target roles for them coming into the MBA experience. It's the opportunity that they get and uh, people end up really liking it because tech is a lot like consulting in the sense that you're just solving problems. Only thing is you're not solving problems in five industries, you're solving problems in one industry and you're, you're going significantly deeper in that industry as opposed to consulting. So it's, it's very similar. And people who, at least what I've seen, people who didn't have tech as their first option, but ended up with the tech internship, end up really liking it for that reason. So Sharon, can you now tell us a little bit about your internship experience working in health tech? What skills did you need in your job? And how did your past experience help you in that role? Yeah, I, I touched upon this a little bit. The, the internship experience you're talking about was working with Bausch, which is a, a Fortune 500 drug manufacturer based in the US, essentially helping Bausch adjust its 150 plus person sales force and help them make more effective sales in a pandemic and a post-pandemic United States, especially when clinics were shutting down and doctors were turning pharma reps away, they were like, we don't want to hear from you. So how do you crack that? And a few things that really helped me from my previous experience as a product owner and I would call PM essentially a customer focused problem solving is what I did prior to coming to my MBA. And that's exactly what the role was, trying to figure out what the customers want. So set up a bunch of interviews, ask probing questions, and try to really dig deep into what's annoying customers, what are the pain points, and how do we solve those pain points. So yeah, just talking to a lot of people, asking the right questions, and um, also scoping out the problem was tricky because of how vague the problem was. So asking for help really helped me in that situation because healthcare was an industry I was not familiar with. So asking people for help was also a big part of that internship. And speaking of your full-time job, now that you're in Seattle, can you talk about what a typical day in your job looks like and what skills do you need most here? And maybe there isn't a typical day, so you could share more. Yeah, so a quick summary of my job at Amazon is uh, I'm working in the Alexa org and I think three months from now, there's going to be a new technology launched called Matter. So if you have smart devices in your home, let's say an Alexa device and a Google device and an Apple device, they're all going to be now able to work with each other. Currently, the situation is that if you have an Alexa device, it can only work with an Alexa device. And you just, just need to have a platform. Uh, you can't have a platform agnostic experience. So a new technology is going to be launched in October called Matter, and that's going to just shake up the entire smart home industry. And that's what I'm working towards. I'm working towards making Alexa compatible with all of these different technologies. And also, even after it's compatible with other technologies, working to make Alexa the preferred smart home technology for most people. So on a high level, that's what I'm doing. On a more micro scale, day-to-day experience as a product manager is you'll find yourself in a ton of meetings. So again, like the internship experience, we're talking to people, asking the right questions and asking for help. They're all super important skills as a product manager, especially Amazon, because I'm maybe like a month in and I'm working on a major, major, major project. So I don't have enough Amazon knowledge or product knowledge to make all the right decisions. So I'm always asking for help. I'm always asking questions to people who've been on Amazon and have been doing this much longer than I have. And um, yeah, there's a lot of reading and, and, and Amazon specifically is a lot of writing because Amazon is a very writing heavy organization. It was, it's Jeff Bezos' philosophy where if you put pen to paper and actually articulate your thoughts, your thoughts come out much better um, they're much clearer and you can communicate that to other people more effectively. So there's no PowerPoint presentation. There's no, there's no charts and graphs and flashy MBA skills that you pick up in, in some of the classes. You don't use that. 
you use writing. And by the way, answering one of your earlier questions, I also did an advanced writing course in my MBA, which was super helpful because uh, yeah, Amazon's a very, very writing heavy culture. Wow, wouldn't have thought of that. Sharang, there are a lot of folks who don't have prior experience in tech, product, and they do want to transition to the tech industry. So how would you recommend that they prepare themselves to land those opportunities? So if you're an international trying to move into product. And I would not, not an engineer either. Not an engineer either, yeah. So I would say the jump to product would be a jump too wide because um, just, just looking at my class and the outcomes of my class, Two people got product roles for full-time offers and both had product experience. So it was me and my roommate and we were both product managers and we were the only people who got product, uh, product offers. So product interviews are very, very taxing. And also they typically prefer people with prior product backgrounds. Uh, however, having said that, breaking into tech is easier than you would think because tech as an industry is very accepting of diverse experiences and diverse backgrounds. And it, it's kind of a thing that as an industry, the industry as a whole is trying to move toward diversity of thought, diversity in general. So breaking into tech is something that people can absolutely do. It's just a matter of articulating the prior experiences in a way where it's very in line with the expectations on the job. So it would behoove people to understand the day-to-day -day workings of the job, the skills required, the technologies involved, and articulate the prior experiences. So it's just a natural, it seems like a natural fit, right? I would encourage people to get on networking calls with people, ask questions about, hey, what do you work on? What, what are some of the technologies involved? do some reading on those technologies, maybe also have reasons for why technology as an industry or, or why technology as a function interests you, why it's, why it's something you're passionate about. And that could be like, an answer to that could be as simple as I like smart homes because my entire house is rigged up with Alexa. I just uh, like uh, the comfort of not having to switch on and off lights anymore. Like that could you could articulate that from a user perspective also. You don't have to be an engineer is what, what I'm trying to get at. And um, yeah, so I think just asking questions and articulating your prior experiences so that it just falls in line with what your future job role is, is a good start. Very helpful. If not product, what roles do you think are more feasible for non-tech, non-engineers? Yeah, so program management is very similar to product management and it's just less of consumer and tech focus a little more of operational focus so program management out of straight out of mba for people willing to transition into technology is a great stepping stone if you will to a pm job because if you're a highly effective program manager your learning curve for being a highly effective product manager is significantly less steep. So if you're able to prove that you can be a good program manager, you can make that jump easily. So I would highly recommend targeting program management. If you're into marketing and enthusiastic or passionate about technology, I would, I would recommend PMM positions, the product marketing manager, right? So those positions are also open to both internationals and non-internationals alike, and also don't really need to have an engineering degree to be a marketer. The roles that are super in demand, but I don't, I'm not the right person to talk about them because it's not something that's a focus for me, is supply chain management. People with ops backgrounds can really get into supply chain management and like we're facing a global supply chain crunch at the moment. So the tech as an industry is heavily recruiting for those roles. Very helpful. Thank you, Sharang. Sharang, what technical skills do you think people could work on acquiring that could help them in tech roles, maybe even product roles? So you don't really need to 
acquire technical skills to be a product manager because you're never writing code or even reading code. You are mostly so again, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a two-part answer. So if folks don't have a background in tech at all, then they don't really need to learn how to write code or or read code because you you never do that as a product manager. You only help gather data or actually interpret already gathered data and make decisions based on that data. So I think it's more of, of a it'll help you more if you work on some of the softer side of the job. So for instance, talking to people, asking the right questions, gathering subjective and objective data, interpreting that data to write to make the right decisions. So those kinds of things are more helpful. If you already have a background in technology, if you have a degree in computer science, I would maybe focus on something like systems design, where in layman's terms, it's designing the entire architect, the technical architecture. So you don't have to ever write the code, but you could have to make decisions between using a certain kind of technology. For instance, I'll, I'll take Alexa as an, as an example. So when building the Alexa product, as a PM, I might have to decide whether Alexa would work with Wi-Fi as a connection or would an Ethernet connection be necessary for the, for the device to work. And having a systems design background would really help in making those kinds of technical decisions. However, big disclaimer here, not all PM jobs are that technical. So even without that kind of background, you could still recruit for PM positions. Understood. Are data analytics skills helpful? So analytics skills are helpful in the sense like you get to know what statistics is. You get to know roughly how data gets gathered and cleaned and the programs involved on a high level, yes. But I would not go super deep into analysis because you have dedicated BI people, so business intelligence people working at big companies whose entire job is to clean up data, to analyze data, and then make a dashboard and give it to you. And as a PM, your job is to interpret that data. So think more in terms of market research, right? So digging deep into, into market information and gathering pieces of data and, and trying to make sense of it, much more important skills than actually analyzing it because it's someone else's job and, and they can do it better than you. I mean, BI folks are, are much smarter than PMs when it comes to analyzing data. So that's not, that's not where you shine as a PM. Helpful, thank you. Sharon, one thing that there's been some chatter about is an impending recession. Have you been hearing anything about it at work or otherwise? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, um, not on Amazon, but uh, in the tech industry as a whole, especially companies that aren't public that were funded by VC money have felt the, the brunt of the recession. And um, essentially for, for companies like Google and Microsoft and Amazon, um, there are strategic investment areas that each company is, is super invested in. And those plans are made two or three years in advance. So something like a recession typically doesn't affect their three, four, five-year goals. For me personally, smart home is a huge, huge investment frontier for Amazon. And I'm sure Google and Microsoft also, especially with Matter coming in and it's going to democratize smart homes. So many, 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 many more people are going to be able to purchase and uh, use smart home devices. So it's a great opportunity for companies like Amazon, Microsoft, and Google, the big tech companies to invest in. But other areas, let's say retail, I just heard yesterday that Amazon is shutting down their private label. So Amazon Basics, for instance, uh, the, the stuff that you see on Amazon website, which is not coming from a brand, but from Amazon itself, uh, it's not been super profitable. So things like that, companies are trying to sort of restructure and uh, divert investment from. So yeah, it's not affecting me personally, but I, it's, it's just dumb luck for some people that it, they just happen to be placed in those orgs. And so then there might be some restructuring in those particular orgs. Understood. 
Sharang, we're almost at the top of the hour, so I wanted to ask you if you had any final words of wisdom for incoming students or prospective applicants. Yeah, so for incoming students, I would highly recommend a focused approach to your MBA. So prior to coming to the MBA, I would recommend reaching out to as many people as possible, especially if you're an incoming student. Most existing students want to talk to you because that's a networking opportunity for them as well. It might be harder as an applicant to talk to as, as many students as it would be for an incoming student. So definitely talk to as many people as you can before the MBA, because once the MBA experience begins, there's so many opportunities, so many courses, so many experiential opportunities, so many social opportunities. There's a ton going on. Just a little side story. I showed my social calendar one day to my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and she was gobsmacked. There was like 12 happy hours slash social events on my calendar. And she's like, when do you, when do you study? It's like, there's 12 on my calendar, but I don't, I don't go to all 12 of them. I, I select maybe one or two that I want to attend. And um, just, yeah, so picking and choosing those opportunities and focusing on what specifically you want from your MBA, as opposed to just getting swept by the MBA wave and, and getting pressured by some peers would be very important because since there are so many opportunities, things can get overwhelming very quickly. So unless you have that structured sort of narrow focus of what you want out of your MBA, things can get very overwhelming. Amazing. That's a lovely soundbite. Uh, pick and choose. Don't get swept by the MBA wave. So Sharang, as we come to the end of the show, I really, really, really want to thank you for taking out time during your workday to you know, share such nuggets of wisdom. This is going to be super helpful for prospective applicants as well as incoming students. I really cannot thank you enough. I love talking about my experience and also love connecting with uh, prospective applicants, uh, prospective students. So I'm always happy to chat with people in a one-to-one -one setting also. So yeah, always happy to help. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Crack the MBA show. I look forward to seeing you again next week with our next guest. Do not forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you and bye-bye.